The Guardian. This Guardian podcast is sponsored by Husqvarna, leaders in lawn and garden equipment. Husqvarna, ready when you are. of So Grow Repeat and we're at Chelsea now it's horrendously wet outside so pretty much all of Chelsea has decided to come into the floral pavilion to try and drink all the free champagne and we're going to do our best attempt to do that but also find you some Chelsea gems We're at Oak Tree Nursery. It's just started raining very heavily outside. And uh, this is your last show ever, I'm Yes, told. absolutely. So why are you giving up on the show world? Basically, well, we're giving up nearly on the horticultural world, actually. Uh, we've been doing it for about 25 years now in horticulture. It's just myself and my wife, Jill. Uh, but she's trying to get started to get arthritis, as you know, in gardening. It's very hard on the joints and so we decided we're in a fortunate position where we can actually sell our nursery we can actually downsize and we can have our garden of our own and we can actually get back to why we started doing this uh, and growing plants and loving plants and having our own garden which we haven't had for 25 years because we've been here at the shows doing gardens for everybody else and how does it feel to know this is your last one? Do, is it a mixture of relief or sadness? Uh, no sadness. <laughs> Ecstatic relief, I'd say, really. Because once you're in your mind that you can do it and it's possible, then it's, it's like starting a new chapter completely that, that actually we can get a garden, we can move where we want to do, and we can grow what we want to do, and we can do it any time we want. Somewhere in here, in this place, there must be someone who's going to, who's starting their beginning of their 25-year career, and this is going to be their first show. So what advice would you give to them after 25 years' experience of doing this thing? Uh, I'd, I'd say enjoy it and don't take it too seriously because there's so many people get into this and get so wound up about what they're doing they should just enjoy the plants do the best they can and what i mean in a situation like this everybody's about nervous about the medals don't worry about it it's, it's lovely to get a gold medal but in the end of the day you've done what you can you're at chelsea most prestigious show in the world and you've made it here so that's fine just just enjoy it because you only get to do it once hopefully uh, and so just enjoy it as you go along Tell us about some of the grasses that you've got here on your stand. I think some of these I've seen in the show gardens. The Libertia with a sort of an orangey tinge is popular this year. Can you tell us what, which ones are your favourites? Yeah, basically the stand we've actually put up is a choice of grasses that, have, that we've actually grown over the years. It's a bit of a reflection of where we all started off. Right at the back there's the old Phalaris, the Gardener's Gators, which is 1640 grass. Uh, and then the, the modern stuff, like you've said, the Taupo and the Goldfinger and the the Dianella aren't strictly botanically grasses but they're grass-like and that's where what people are growing now uh, they like really free draining soil uh, ironically it's raining of course uh, so they should be okay but then they like sun so that's what people are doing now because they have flowers 
proper flowers as it were where most of the grasses don't they have a flower but it doesn't look like a flower a couple of these things that we've grown are our personal favorites like like the hack and the claw marvelous thing from the shade and that's just glorious and that one's going with us we're not selling that one i've never met anyone who doesn't like that grass it's universally loved isn't it it's just sort of a, it's either the the plain form or the variegated form with the mm. with the stripes it's it's very flexible and you can use it in lots of different situations yep. absolutely cats like it they'll eat it and lay on it well, do and they? Yes, okay. and people love it as well because it goes in the shade, but it's beautiful, it's very elegant. Yeah, backlit with the sun behind it, There's, it stops everybody when you have that in your garden. Everybody's like, what's that plant? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You really sound interested in grasses. Do you want to buy a nursery? <laughs> <laughs> no. We found out on April the 24th, I got a phone call to say they'd had a cancellation in the Floral Marquee. Sorry, Grand Pavilion. This is Chelsea, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and would I take it? And my first reaction was... I can't, you know, I can't build it in that time. And how am I going to cover the nursery, and keep the place open while I'm at Chelsea? But then I just thought, you know, am I really going to turn this down? So we said yes. I should go back and say this is Sue Beasley at uh, a Bluebell Nursery. And tell us about your backstory of how your nursery started. Well, the backstory is that until eight years ago, I wasn't involved in horticulture at all. I was an amateur gardener. I was studying a little bit part-time at Reese Heath College and a friend said, why don't you enter that BBC Gardener of the Year competition, see how you go on. So I did. And while I was trying to find plants to build the garden with, we came across this rundown nursery that was obviously looking a mess. And a couple of weeks before filming, it came on the market. So hubby said, well, if you win the competition, maybe we'll consider it as a change of lifestyle. And I won the competition and we bought the place. So there you go. What I didn't really realise then was just how much of a mess it was in and how much work there was to do to get it up and running. So it's taken a few years to get to the point where it's running, it's successful, I actually know what I'm doing. And uh, so we started exhibiting at shows and here I am at Chelsea. And as somebody who's just starting off in the business, because we just spoke to somebody who's just about to retire yeah. and sell off his... Um, is it what you expected, running a nursery? Is it better or worse? Are you... I mean, I assume you're happy with the choice because you're here doing it. Everybody has an idea that they'll, at some point, yeah. maybe slightly kind of, mid, you know, midlife, have a career change, open a nursery and sell all the plants they love. Is it anything like that? Very rarely. Um, most of the time, uh, it's sheer physical hard graft. You spend all day lugging things about, and when you're not lugging things about, you're dealing with all the ordinary stuff to do with running a business, like, you know, we've got people who work for me, so there's sort of payroll to deal with, and bills, and invoices. And actually making a living out of it is very, very difficult. For us, it's a second income, so that does help. Um, but, it, you know, and there's a lot of competition and actually fewer people visit nurseries nowadays just to buy plants. So we, we've got a garden to visit and a small tea room and we now do online. And I think you have to offer those extra reasons to visit and additional ways to buy plants from you. You can't anymore, I think sit in your nursery and wait for people to come and find you. It doesn't work like that anymore. Now, this is your first Chelsea, right? Yeah. But you are, you've done other, I know you've done other flower yes. shows. What does coming to a flower show offer a nursery? Why do you bother? Well, Chelsea's completely different to any other flower show. In the marquees at the flower shows, yes, you're exhibiting your wares on a display and you, and you, and you want to get a good medal, but it's, it's a very, very good way to sell plants. And genuinely, I mean, I can take more in a day at selling plants at Malvern than in a quiet August, say. 
So looking at that, the commercial value to a nursery of fighting your way in to get a place in the marquee and then being able to sell plants, it's a potentially life-saving way of, of, of the nursery making a living. Chelsea's different. You can't sell plants at Chelsea. And it's a long time, it's a long, long build, it's a long show. So you're giving up an awful lot of time. And what are you doing it for? You're doing it in exchange for representation of what you do, to get your name known, to hand some leaflets out, to win medals, which you can then be proud of, and to show people what you're capable of. So it's almost pure PR. Chelsea's totally different to any other show. Tell us about some of the plants that you've got here today and why you've chosen okay. them particularly. Well, when you apply to Chelsea, you can't really apply and get in on the grounds that I'm going to bring some nice plants. You have to hook your display around either a particular group of plants or a theme. So a group of plants that I've slowly really fallen in love with over the years I've been at the nursery are the thalictrums. So it's not a plant group that's very well known. Um, they're mostly shade lovers, but not all. But some of them have got this particular thing that I adore, which is they, they will give you height in shade. It's easy to find shade lovers that are ground cover. But a bit later in the year, people are saying, oh, I've got a big hole here, and there's nothing there. And a lot of the thalictrums are shade loving, but quite tall. So that was the thing that made me sort of hook into them. But some of them, like this little one here, yeah, it's only, what, three inches high? And then that's the little Thalictrum cuceanum, which will have dainty little pink flowers on soon. But then you've got this one um, called, very suggestively, Black Stockings, which if it was in good light, those um, stems would be purple black uh, with purple flowers on. So it's really interesting range. So I said I would bring Thalictrums and complementary perennials. And it was the Thalictrums that really sort of got me in. It's just been a shame that it's been such a cool spring. I've not been able to get as many of them into flower as I would have liked. The reality is that's going to go against me on, on judging, but I don't really care, I'm here. They don't catch your eye. You're not gonna see them from the other side of the room like the, you know, the begonias and the pelagoniums. But when you stop and look, there's a real dainty beauty about them. It's kind of like yin and, yin and yang because you're right next to a very, yes. very uh, dramatic yes. display of begonias and That's delphinium. Right. So it's kind of, it's splitting the crowd probably between the people who like those kind of very, very loud and proud plants and perhaps something a bit more subtle and needing a bit more dedicated attention to appreciate. For me, it's always about finding the likes of you, though, because it's that very small, very quiet thing that you find, and there's always one corner in Chelsea where there's something very detailed and calm and quiet happening. It's perfect for Chelsea for many reasons, but just because the rest of it is all about theatre and show. So when you find that tiny, quiet moment, you go, ah. Oh. <laughs> I'm the ah of Chelsea. <laughs> Um, we have pink champagne for ladies. Aww. We just need to explain what's Anthony, going on here. There's a man you're required. with a green There's cape. A, so a man is about to chop okay. off the top of the bottle. Is that is right? It's yes. It's a brage. It's called the brage. Okay. Come along, okay. follow me. Okay. Follow this gentleman here. Are you right-handed or left-handed? Right-handed. Take that in your right hand. Oh my God, I'm doing I'm it. I'm sure this has been health and safety improved. That seems absolutely <laughs> terrifying, frankly. Nobody fails. I have... Um, Put through some 15,000 people through Sabraj, it is not a problem. Okay, I feel so. better. I hope this isn't your last, last time. <laughs> You're in the hands of the Ambassador Emeritus for the United Kingdom. Follow me. Okay. There we are. I put my hand under there to help yeah. you because it's quite heavy. Yeah. 
and it's very simple because all you do yeah. is you go straight up there yeah. and you take the glass annulus and the cork with it and you sweep through, never stop. Okay. But never take the blade off the glass. And what you'll end up with is that on the ground. So how hard do I do it? Sure. Okay. Hard. But never take the blade off the glass. Off you go, straight up. Perfect. Oh! That is unbelievable. <laughs> That's the most fun I've had. Absolutely perfect. I love that. That was lovely, Alice. Well done. Congratulations. May I introduce you now as a, as a subroise? Oh, thank you. Cher Alice, vous avez réalisé le premier geste qui vous ouvre la porte de notre confrère. Noblement, vous avez séparé le bouchon de flacon qui représente le merveilleux vin de champagne au nom de Noé Perlevine, de Saint-Vincent, le patron de Vigneron. Je vous nomme subroise dans l'ordre de confrère de Sabador. Félicitations. Well done. So, I think one of the things that gardeners can feel when they start looking at pictures and watching coverage of Chelsea is a sort of sinking feeling that your own garden doesn't look anything like the gardens that you see at Chelsea. So Alice, why, what can you say to make us feel better about this in terms of why are Chelsea show gardens nothing like our gardens at home? Well, they only have to exist for a week. So that's a clear, clear difference between your garden and their garden. So theirs is all about theatre and looking spectacular so that it can get judged and therefore it's perfect. Also, it's never realistic in its planting density. So because if you were to realistically plant up a Chelsea garden as if you were to one that was going to be there for the next five, ten years, you'd have to splice all the plants and then you'd have lots of bare soil and it wouldn't look right. So everything is crammed in. And therefore, when you look at a Chelsea garden, you have to think, you don't even need to buy a third of those plants in terms of number densities to do your own garden. So don't look at a Chelsea garden and then think, oh my God, I have to go and buy, you know, 900 foxgloves. Also, because that whole thing that they're only here for a week, they also have a a palette of colours which are really determined by what's going to be in flower now. So we've seen a lot of orange, you always see a lot of purples, um, a lot of blues, a lot of sort of pale yellows because these are the kind of classic British spring, you know, plant colours. And actually you need to think when you build your garden, what's it going to look like in August? What's it going to look like in September? What's it actually going to look like in November? And you need to choose plants that will look good at those periods. On the whole, you don't tend to see that happen at Chelsea, so you see a very kind of limited thing. However, one of the joys of Chelsea is coming and seeing kind of just really fabulous kind of dreamlike things. So it's not to come away and think, oh, I need to go and make a Chelsea garden, but if I could have a little element, one or two, that's my thing. I think you should pick one or two things where you go, ooh, orange is really nice. Maybe I'll put more orange into my garden or... Um, maybe I'll build a you know fantastic shed at the bottom and I think also you can say uh, hopefully you can take something away that you can do cheaply and easily at home so for example I'm really keen on verbascums and there are lots of verbascums at this year's show um, and I know that I can go away and I don't know go to the Chilton Seed catalogue and find a couple of packets of different verbascum varieties for a few quid and I can grow hundreds of verbascums from that and it may not look like Chelsea in my garden next year when they're flowering but hey I will get that on mass effect from spending a few pounds and that's a really satisfying thing as a gardener and that's where you're looking for those trends to come out through uh, seeing the planting at Chelsea. Yeah and we've seen uh, I mean we've seen it for a really long time but I'm glad it's still here because there are some years when it's not and there is a really relaxed attitude to planting this year you know there is a much more kind of meadowy feel there are grasses there are even things in seed 
flowers gone over, seed heads, things not in flower. And I'm really glad that Chelsea is like finally kind of settling itself in a place where it can be bold enough around plants to not say a plant is only interesting if it's in its peak of flowering, because that's not true about any number of wonderful things that you can put in your garden. So we're here at Charlie Allbone's garden and what's it called Charlie first of all? Uh, it's called the time in between. And tell us the story behind it, I know it's a rather yeah, um, interesting My story. father passed away when I was 17 so this is a garden to meet with him and tell him about my life since he passed away. One of the things I like about this garden is that it's got lots of, it's practical, you can, yep. you can use it for entertaining but you can also enjoy the beauty of it. Tell us about the central pool and how that feature. works. Yeah, the so, the water feature is about four and a half meters wide uh, and uh, it fills up with water over about seven minutes and then sits there for a minute and then within nine seconds it fully drains all its water uh, and that represents um, I, was, I was present at my father's death and that's sort of I'm trying to sum up the feelings feelings I had when uh, when I went through that and if you, if you wait around a couple of minutes you'll see it do its thing and it kind of gives you that hole in your stomach sort of feel. So a really emotional backstory to this garden. It's not just a sort of a, a, a brief yeah, that's, right. that's very vague. It's, it's very specific to you and your yeah, that's life. Right. Yeah, the first third of the garden is a wide path uh, for me and my dad to walk down and talk about all the plants that I love to grow in my own garden. That's what the sort of planting is based around. And the sunken courtyard at the back uh, is based around a fire pit, which is my wife and the sandstone columns are all important people in my life. So there's a, a lot to it rather than just a, a garden. What's going to happen to the garden once it's over? Are you going to take it all home? Uh, well, yeah, we shipped over the columns and the paving, but I'm taking back the fire pit and the, and the columns. If they're not sold, they'll be going into my house, which would be nice. And, and how does it, I mean, this, as we've said, an extraordinarily emotional um, garden. Mm. How does it feel to kind of actually put yourself out there like that? I mean, uh, well, it's good, you know, because uh, although it's sort of the subject matter is my late father, it's, it's a garden that's been built from happiness. So everyone who's been working on it has volunteered their time to do so, and everyone really wants to be here and, and create this garden. So it's a really nice experience to be doing it. Yeah. I'm, I'm John Marshall. I've worked in potatoes since I was five years old. I've tried to escape, but I've begun to love the subject uh, very much so. I mean, the last thing I think about when I'm going to come to Chelsea is that I might find some potatoes. So how come you're here? Well, why not? <laughs> Every, I mean, everybody's got gardens and potatoes are the fourth most important food crop. It's health-given, um, wonderful crop, but there's a lot of excitement. And I'm finding today the number of people coming on to the stand, they're looking for this parts of history because everybody there's got its own history. Start off with the, the Irish lumper. Mm -hmm. Well, it starts before that because there's these native species here and they were collected from Peru where the potato originated. And if you consider back in 1510 when the conquistadors came across with the gold and silver, they brought potatoes. Nobody knew what potatoes were for, they weren't mentioned in the Bible. So they started growing them in Europe and then they became a useful fodder for the growing population and wars, you know, the wars between France and Germany down the Rhine, they were growing lots of potatoes here. And it, it, it moved on from there in Ireland where population increased from 1 million to 8 million, probably in 200 years. But then suddenly blight hit. They didn't know what blight was, but a boatload of potatoes came in from Mexico to Belgium Blight spores whisked up in the atmosphere and they went down and all the potatoes were obliterated for two years on the trot. 
So you had starvation, a million died and a million and a half emigrated to uh, North America. But after that famine, everybody started breeding varieties because they wanted disease-resistant varieties, and that's gone on today. There are some names of breeders, you know, uh, Patterson from Dundee, who bred this one Victoria, and then there was a man, Donald McKelvey from Ochtermuchty, and he bred Majestic, and another guy, Archibald Finlay from Ochtermuchty, um, he bred Majestic and British Queen. And he bred a potato in 1904, that was called El Dorado, and it was a five-ounce potato, but it sold for £30. And people thought they could just multiply their money up, plant one and you get ten. It didn't happen. It was the wrong variety. He went bankrupt. Why why are so many potato breeders from Scotland? One of the the stories about the potatoes was, because we've got a dull, cold climate, there are not so many green fly or aphids that spread the virus diseases. If you go down into the fens, it's humming with aphids and disease and the yields can be decimated so they begin to build up by buying Scottish seed it was better you got higher yields but then the Scotsmen were maybe more involved with the potatoes so they started experimenting cross-breeding and this guy Patterson from Dundee he took potatoes from all over the world Archangel in Russia South Africa and he got this one potato and he got special dispensation from Queen Victoria to call it um, Victoria. <laughs> and from that one potato, the others started breeding their own, British Queen Majestic. And today, about 70% of the varieties came from these two guys in, in Scotland. Because we're so used to seeing potatoes that look sort of vaguely oval shaped and creamy coloured yet here you've got a sort of a spectrum of colours from the deepest darkest black of the delightfully named black bog which is a lumpy looking fellow right to through reds and pinks have you got any particular favourites? Each potato has its own favouritism it's part nostalgia I love an early potato the first burst of spring I suppose June digging a potato with mint boiled or steamed and you know they're really tasty but it's a bit nostalgic I was brought up on a farm and Aaron Pilot was the one and then there was another one Duke of York which is a favourite in Scotland and from the Outer Hebrides Sharps Express but I think everybody's got their own where they were brought up and how they liked it but then you like to move on I love to move on to salads and there's things like Pink for Apple which are a terrific name it doesn't sound like a potato Charlotte and there's a new one Jazzy coming out or La Rat from France which you know imagine eating a rat but they're beautiful potatoes and you can do so many versatile things the way you cook potatoes. This Guardian podcast is sponsored by Husqvarna leaders in lawn and garden equipment. Want a perfectly mowed lawn? The Husqvarna Ride-On Lawn Mower Range features a unique articulated steering system and front-mounted cutting deck, giving you unrivaled maneuverability in tight spaces, around trees, under benches, and against fences, allowing easy navigation of most complex lawns. Husqvarna, ready when you are. So we're here with Dan Pearson at the Laurent Perrier Chatsworth Garden. Dan, you've got this lovely large triangular plot at Chelsea. What were the particular challenges of such a big space? Well, we wanted the plot because it allowed us the opportunity of looking in from the outside all the way around. And when you have 
a rectangular site on Main Avenue, you have a, a, a total limit that is built in from day one of a back and a side, which means that you've only got two sides to view in from, and that's very limiting for the public. And because the garden is inspired by the Chatsworth Estate, which is about a landscape experience of walking through it, we wanted something that people could walk all around to get that feeling of there being a journey. And um, it allows us the opportunities of all these vignettes in through between trees and rocks and spaces that we've created for views that are particular to the experiences you're walking around it. And of course it's a double-edged sword because you can also see straight through the garden so you've got all the interference of the trade stands and the restaurants and other gardens that uh, have a different aesthetic. And what we've had to do then is to try and hold people's attention within the garden and uh, let them create some escapism that will allow people to tune out from that visual interference around and I think it has worked actually. Now you're kind of known as somebody who has a strong sense of kind of using plants as they would be used in their natural kind of setting. So there's a strong naturalistic element. And you've been really bold here and done things that you don't usually see at Chelsea, which is there are things which are out of flower, there are things which are going over. I'm assuming that was a very conscious decision. I wanted it to feel like a real place and there are plants which are yet to come as well. Like we've got all our iris dark aura which is just about to pop this week as the laburnum goes over and um, maybe that won't play in our favour with the judges you know but I think it feels like a real place and and that's really important because they're a confection aren't they most of the way that the gardens are planted and uh, they're not real we know they're not real and I wanted this to feel like somewhere that people could feel they could inhabit. You've done a number of how many gardens have you done at Chelsea now? I've done six in total this will be my I think it'll be my seventh. Do you feel like you've really evolved as somebody who makes show gardens now? Is this a really different feeling from the very first one you ever made? I think you feel more confident as you get older when you're designing and you become wiser because you make mistakes and learn from your mistakes and look at what other people have done and learn from that too and decide more what you're trying to say I think when I came I'm just thinking about the gardens I made at the very beginning when I was in my mid-twenties and and I was kind of just exploring a way into finding this bit of theatre that we're now involved in with this show garden here and I think having not been here for 11 years has been really good because exhibiting is a very it's a hungry beast being an exhibitor really because it or the concept of exhibiting because it takes a lot of your energy to create something and you need a lot of time when you're growing things that take more than one year to evolve and ideas more than one year to evolve and an idea can often be three or five years to come to fruition and to have that time to think about things uh, that you can then bring back to show people something refreshed I think has really helped me this time around and it's given me the confidence to come back with something that's more relaxed I think. And do you feel this is then a real reflection of who and where you're at as a gardener? Do you feel like this is a more personal garden than others? I think they've all been personal for where I am at that particular point in my life and I think that this feels particularly pertinent for what I'm doing now which is really treading this very fine line between horticulture and, and naturalism. You know, my own place in Somerset now is really... I'm really very limit, limiting myself to a relatively small garden somewhere to grow fruit and vegetables to eat and then this weighs into my bit of landscape and I find those bits of landscape almost more exciting than the garden that I'm making 
because they have their own idiosyncrasies and their own rhythms and their own way of tweaking you in another direction and surprising you. And um, it's really not until the meadows are cut down at my place that I want to go back into the garden and see what I've made. And it feels contrived until that point. I feel like personally I'm on a really sort of on this learning curve where actually I, I'm yes. giving up gardening. Yes. You know, I started off as a gardener yes. and I actually think I won't be at the end know, because really I interesting. That, like that, that need to let go more and more seems yeah. much more interesting than trying to control. And you can only do that through understanding, can't you? It's about, you, can only, you could only be an abstract painter through learning to paint properly in the first place. Mm. Or, you know, write in an interesting way if you've learned how to write properly. And it's the same thing, isn't it? It's having that confidence to let go and know when to assert yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And that the rules aren't rules, they're boundaries. And then actually when you get to the boundaries, you realise that they're not even, yeah. you can notice whether there's boundaries anymore. I think that's one of the really extraordinary process. You start off gardening going, it has to happen like X, Y, and Z. And then you go, ooh. And then you, and you just let go further and further and further from that until it's almost a kind of, yeah, an absence of doing anything. Yes, yeah. I agree, lovely. We've retreated, or truthfully known, we've been kicked out of Chelsea now because the Queen has arrived. So we're back at the pub, which is the kind of classic after Chelsea Press Day pub. What's your post-Chelsea feeling? I feel that it's invigorated me to think about some other plants to try at home. As we discussed earlier, sometimes it can make me a little bit sad that my garden isn't hugely amazing as some of these gardens but then I didn't have to spend £250,000 making it so you know that's okay. What I would say about Chelsea this year is that I feel like it finally has maybe moved a corner like there were gardens there that didn't look exactly the same as gardens have been the year before. I really missed vegetables. They were very absent from all the gardens. And in past years, we've had a real, a real understanding that people are growing a lot of vegetables at home and they have been reflected in the main garden design. And yet, along that lineup of the big gardens, there wasn't a single one that had anything edible. So I liked it, but it didn't have enough to eat. So what I really want to see in future Chelsea years is gardens which reflect that you can eat off them and they're beautiful, and they don't have to be vegetable gardens. And so I feel like what Dan said in his interview about the fact that gardens are getting more genuinely sustainable is very true. You can see that there is a kind of more holistic attitude towards planting, but now I want that to reflect how people use their gardens, which is you have this wonderful space at the back of your house that you can grow food in, and you need it to be beautiful, and that's what I'd like to see in future Chelsea. And vegetables can be beautiful too, right? I mean, yeah, on all levels, vegetables can be beautiful. I didn't see any apple trees, for instance. You know, this is a fantastic time for apple trees in England right now. There's nothing better than an apple tree in May, even if it's going over from bloom. So there was a lot to love. But um, if anything, this is the first year in my entire life where I've finally thought, you know what, I want my stab. I want to design a Chelsea garden. Well, there we go. There's a challenge for any sponsor willing to uh, put their money behind Alice for Chelsea next year. Chelsea 2016, get in. <laughs> <laughs>